Sonny, turn your camera back on. I need something to look at. What? Turn your camera back on. Thank you. That's better. I'll keep mine off. Um, you got some creepy, some creepy stuff going on there, DJ. <laughs> I need to look at somebody. Welcome to the Fringe Youth Worker Podcast with TJ and Sunny. Hello and welcome back to the Fringe Youth Worker Podcast. My name is TJ McConaughey and I am joined by my best friend, Sonny Hollywood, Saltalamakia. Um, it has been a crazy, crazy couple weeks and we actually haven't gotten to talk to you guys in about two weeks because because something cool, incredible, awesome, amazing happened. And what was that, Sonny? What was that crazy, cool, awesome thing that happened? I uh, I got to attend the Grammys with a couple of uh, clients that I work with. But TJ, it's nice to be back with all you peasants down here in uh, normal land, yeah. and uh, I've transcended to come back into the realms that you all hang out in. Transcended, it's been a rough, transcended. Uh, it's been a rough adjustment, but I'm back. But I'm back. Okay. All right. All right. Usually we use the word transcended only to talk about God, but you know, just par for the course here at the Fringe Youth Worker Podcast. We're just spitting heresies like left and right these days. So it's good to be back, Sonny. And it's good. I'm glad that you're back. I'm glad that you're back into the mix here. I'm glad that you've condescended to our level again. And, uh, and you know, uh, you've also, uh, had to had to endure some some missteps or, or some some problems because of your crazy schedule this week. So you're a little sick, aren't you? Yeah, man. I I got the you know when you do an event and you get the after event blues, you know Elijah Complex, whatever you want to call it. Uh, that hit because that always hits. And then I got sick like the the last day. There was one of the volunteers who went. She was sick the whole time. And it was my only coworker there, so we had to talk quite a bit at night and doing, you know, emails and reports and all that. So I had to be around her. And uh, the last day, I started feeling what, what she had, and then, uh, then boom, as soon as I get home, it hits me and stuff. So, so I'm battling that deep, very wide voice. And uh, but yeah, man, it's fun. It's fun to be back on the, on the podcast, man. We missed a week. Well, Sonny, you're sick, so let's stop all this chit chat and let's get right to the show. To the show. conversation on Facebook and Instagram. And when you subscribe to this podcast, please leave us a five-star rating. We desperately need your approval. So Sunny, uh, we allowed our randos to ask a few questions uh, that, and submit them online. And so the randos want to know, they want to know what happened down in LA. They want to know all about the Grammys. So I'm just going to ask you questions submitted by our online audience and you'll just answer these questions. The first question that I'm going to ask you is from Paul Craven, Dr. Paul Craven, and he wants to know what type of food did you guys all eat down there? What type of food did you eat, Sonny? Appreciate the question. Uh, we ate, we ate all kinds of food. We ate pizza, uh, I think there was some sushi. There was some $35 cheesecake ordered to one of the hotel rooms. I won't say whose hotel room that was ordered to. But the coolest place we ate at by far, even even above the pizza place that was bigger than... I've rarely met a met a pizza that I can't have two slices on, and I finally met my match, TJ, and, and had I only had one slice of this pizza, and it was just it was like thirty inches. It was crazy. It was nuts. The diameter of the pizza was thirty inches. I had one slice, and, and I was I, I tapped out, man. I, I've never ever had less than like two slices, and uh, it was amazing. But anyway, there's this place called the Grand Central Market. It's on Third and Hill in downtown Los Angeles, or as locals refer to it, DTLA. Uh, <laughs> but you walk into this place and it's like an open, it's, it's inside of like a giant warehouse, but it's all open and they have everything there. 
like food vendors galore. They got taco. They got you know Mexican places. They got uh, Chinese places. They got a bunch of Italian places. They got um, regular you know hamburgers and places and stuff like that. Sushi places, ramen places, uh, made fresh pasta that day and stuff like that, dude. And then they had this one place called the Egg Slut. And that was the name. And uh, you know, one of our one of us one one of our boys wanted to eat there, but they ended up not eating there. So nobody ever ended up eating there. But it was raved about by a lot of the locals who we talked to and stuff like that. They're all like, "Yeah, you gotta go to the, the egg place and stuff," you know. But we ended up eating at this Mexican place, and uh, we all got some burritos. I got I got a big old steak burrito, and like, dude, it was just it was one of those just big, massive burritos that you would come to expect living in Woodburn and stuff like that. Just real authentic. Uh, guacamole, sour cream, all the fixings inside and stuff, and uh, I only ate about half of it. Man, I was I was toast after that, but that was probably one of the one of the best places. So so if you're ever there, Grand Central Market, like you got to go there to eat. It's amazing. Our next question comes from one of our favorite randos, Annie Owens. Annie wants to know the inside information. She wants to know why did Childish Gambino not show up to collect his award. Why did Childish Gambino, even though he had won, he he chose not to come to the Grammys? Uh, inquiring minds want to know, Sonny, do you have the insider information on Childish Gambino? Uh, so so I, I did get some inside information. So I talked to several people down there about the Grammys, and, and I was reading up about... Um, kind of the long history, you know, like, remember Eminem, years ago, Eminem wrote the lyric uh, about how he didn't even want a Grammy because half of them don't understand him and can't even stomach him or something like that, right? And so I started asking around about, like, what's the relationship between hip-hop and rap and the Grammys and stuff like that? And it sounds like there's kind of some, I don't want to trash it, but there's some animosity um, amongst the two. If you notice this year, TJ, uh, this was the largest... um, the largest amount of women performances this year in the Grammys. Uh, Alicia Keys hosted. Normally, it's LL Cool J. Right at the beginning of the of the Grammy telecast that I was at live, uh, Michelle Obama came out there. Jennifer Lopez was out there. I think Jada Pickett Smith was out there. Lady Gaga was out there. So there was a huge presence of females, and Childish Gambino won. And I don't think those were a coincidence because uh, there was an article I was reading that states that only seventeen percent. Uh, what's the in, in, in the amount of like producers and engineers and stuff like that in the music industry only 17% are women and so there's discussion around is that natural is that on purpose is it a boys club is it hard to get in for women and so the Grammys this year really tried to go above and above and beyond as far as including women and letting it be known that you know women are really powerful and part of music too and, and they are I mean, some of my favorite artists are women Taylor Swift who wasn't there I'm mad but uh and so I think there, there's that element at play, but also with the hip-hop game, if you notice what Drake said during his speech, uh, he talked about how, you know, if, you, if you, people already know your lyrics, if they're, if they're singing back to your lyrics, then you've already won. You don't really need a Grammy. And then they cut him off. It was kind of crazy. And so, and there was a lot of guys, like Jay-Z didn't show up this year. There were several people who the Grammys wanted to perform, but they didn't want to go. And they kind of, not boycotted the Grammys, but they just didn't show up. Ariana Grande was another one. She didn't show up to the Grammys. And so there's kind of this ongoing, not like feud, but just like a how do we, how do the Grammys incorporate hip hop into the Grammys, right? Because if you think about it, what's more popular right now, hip hop or pop? I, I would argue hip hop is more mainstream than pop music is, right? And the influence of hip hop in every other musical genre, you cannot deny that. But the Grammys has a hard problem because. So much of hip-hop really isn't your traditional classical music. You know, you can make a lot of cool trap beats with two chords and stuff like that. And so I think there's, a, there's an element of how do you recognize this and give it the praise it deserves without not tearing down but lowering the standard of the other Grammys. And so I, I don't know. I'm just speculating a lot of this. But, but I do know there was a lot of issues with the Grammys getting rappers to come and perform and Childish Gambino won and that was one of the biggest ones, um, is that is that there was kind of an interesting little feud going on and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see what they do next year and years to come and stuff like that as well. You know, if you're a fringe youth worker, if you're somebody who works with fringe kids, you're going to need to get to know hip-hop culture. Um, uh, it, it is. And and like you said, it's one of those, it, it, it's a genre of music that has, has, has figured out a way to bleed into almost every other genre of music. You know, almost every you listen other to country music genre anymore? of music. I mean, country music is not even, even country, country music anymore. Yeah, yeah, country. Yeah. 
Yeah, country music is now has hip hop all over it. It's crazy, yeah, man. It's I'm like, saying, you know, man. here's a pop song and then oh, here's a pop song and then of course there's there's got to be a rapper who comes in on this stuff. That doesn't happen. Like that doesn't happen. That's not reverse compatible. Like it isn't like all of a sudden there's this uh, you know, high-end pop song and then there is this country section where everything gets twangy and Southern stuff comes in. There might be an artist who crosses over, but it isn't like, Hey, here's a part of our song, which we're going to just completely inspire around this other genre of music. And so, and so, yeah, hip hop does have this ability to sort of cross into other cultures where other music doesn't have that. So um, I think that's a really important point. And Again, uh, you just need to get to know it. You need to know what these things are and and why your kids are into them and what's going on with that. And and you know, listen not as hey, is it okay if my kids listen to this? Um, that's that's an important part of youth ministry. But maybe more listen as a way to understand uh, exactly why yeah. why is this so popular as opposed to should this be? Because we always ask the should. I mean, I don't know. I think youth pastors we always go to the should or the should nots. But I think that one of the places, one of the things that can be really helpful is why is this so incredibly popular? You know, why why is this hitting a string in, in different things? You just gotta know what they're what they're into. And I mm-hmm. was I was always arguing against it. Like, why are you listening to that? Why are you listening to that? And I did mm-hmm. that for years. Yeah. But now I just started to embrace it. And again, you leverage the culture around you to work with the youth. And so I just started like figuring out how to make these guys' beats and stuff like that. So so they would show me a song they like. I would I would listen to it. I would I would take the beat. I would figure out how to make it my yeah. own, and then give it back to them, and then use that as the lyrics they write for it, or use that for the lyrics and stuff. And so you gotta know what they're into, because that'll tell you a lot about where they're at. Like, you know, you see them an hour a week. That's 167 hours they're not with you if you're a standard youth pastor, right? So you have to know what they're yeah. doing, what their influences are. So also what I started doing too is is you know instead of like saying why are you listening to this in a negative way. Come at it like from a curious perspective, like, hey, what about this mm-hmm. do you like? What about this song do you like? What about this artist do you like? What about these lyrics yeah. do you relate to? And that opens up a huge conversation versus you shouldn't listen to that. This is bad. And then there's no room for conversation. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And and again, like, you know, there is things that they shouldn't be listening to. There is things that is garbage in, garbage out. And, and But the only way to really approach that in an honest way is to know it. And to know why, to know the whys. Because if you're going to tell them why they shouldn't listen to it, you should know why they are listening to it. Um, so anyway, uh, I'm going to get on to another question here. Uh, uh, so uh, T- Timothy Charles has some questions for you. And he's actually, a Hello, counsel- he's actually a counselor like you. So he has some like very high-end questions here. Um, and I'm just going to, I'm going to just, sh- I'm going to shoot you these quick. Anyway, I'm going to shoot you these questions quick, Sonny, and I need you to answer them fast so we can get through this. Okay. All right. Who was in charge of the young men who won? Did they have a chaperone, parents, anything like that? So two of the moms, so three young men went, yeah. two were 18, one was 17. Okay. Uh, the one 18 year old had his mom come with him as a chaperone. The 17 year old had his mom come with him as a chaperone and the 18 year old went, I was technically his chaperone. Okay. Um, was there a recognition or a ceremony for them at the Grammys or anything that said, Hey, these guys are here. Nothing at the Grammys, but it was, uh, behind like on another day with this organization called music cares and they had a recognition and gave them a monetary prize and stuff like that, a bunch of swag and stuff. Okay, awesome. Uh, what happened to the song? Like, who owns it? Where does it go? Will it play? All that is it? Is it gonna? Is it gonna go anywhere besides this thing? Good question. That this is kind of something we're trying to figure out as we move forward with this kind of um, practice. Is right now the song is on SoundCloud. It's it's only on SoundCloud and on my computer because you cannot download a song from SoundCloud unless I say you can. It's a it's a checkbox thing so we didn't put it on youtube we didn't put it anywhere else because most other places you can download it mm-hmm. and so in order to, to to keep the song safe it's only on soundcloud it's not downloadable and as we figure out more about how this is going to work as far as the program goes that's definitely something we'll be exploring uh how did it affect the the men who wrote the song how do you how do you foresee it affecting them oh i think it shows them the exact opposite of what culture shows them a lot and that's being vulnerable is better and mm. being vulnerable is honest and being vulnerable 
is is brave. Being vulnerable is strong. We think mm-hmm. that we have to pre- present ourselves as this tough macho guy all the time, mm-hmm. but it's actually the exact opposite. Is when you can be vulnerable and honest with yourself, that's the epitome of strength. And for each of these young men, they didn't write about gang banging or, or using drugs or, or degrading women. They wrote about pains in their heart and in their life and how they've overcome it and why they were using substances to overcome it. And that's what won them the contest. The song's cool, you know, it's whatever, but really what won them the contest is the authenticity in their lyrics. And, and right now, in a, in, a, in a culture of rap music, that really is very inauthentic. There's some artists around mm-hmm. there and stuff that are, that, are, that are keeping it really true, but yeah. there's a lot of artists who are just following this this uh, machine to print money, which is, you know, just have, you know, girls and guns and weed in your music videos, and, and, you, and you can print money, basically. Yeah. So they went against that culture, but used the culture of lyrics or use the culture of rap to make really authentic lyrics, and that's why they won. And so really the whole entire time I was just really kind of reiterating, you know, your honesty, your vulnerability got you here, and don't mm. ever forget that. Also your hard work and your dedication, you know, like mm. like you put your mind to something. You know, we're from a bunk town in Salem, Oregon, right? Like what? nothing good comes out of Salem, mm. and these kids won a national contest. Yeah. And it was interesting because one of the times we were down there, we got to watch Miley Cyrus and Shawn Mendes uh, perform um, for this Music Cares Person of the Year thing. So we were like 30 feet from them, right? Amazing artist, amazing talent, whatever you think of them, whatever. They can sing like nobody's business, right? And so one of the kids walks out and goes, man, I feel so inadequate. I shouldn't be here. And I'm like, what do you mean? You are here. Like you beat out everybody else in the country who tried this contest and you're here, you know? Yeah. And we were talking with, um, with uh, Kevin Griffin, who's the lead singer of Better Than Ezra. He was a mm-hmm. judge, and he said it's a it's a business of no's. It's an industry of no's, meaning that you'll hear no a thousand times, but all it takes is one yes. Yeah. And so that was kind of yeah. cool too. Is like don't give up, just keep grinding, yeah. keep doing your thing. And he even yeah. said he goes, "Why are you doubting yourself?" He goes, "You're here. Nobody else is. So so take yeah. that." And that was yeah. really cool too. And a couple of things there. Uh, first of all, resiliency. Um, I love that idea of, you know, you're going to hear so many no's, but it just takes one mm-hmm. yes. Um, mm-hmm. This this generation, and, and this isn't just French kids, this is every kid, they need to be a little more resilient and they need to get used yep, to hearing 100%. no. You can go back and listen to some of our old podcasts. We talk really extensively about that. But, but yes, you're going to hear no in your life and that's okay because yeah. you're going to also hear yes in sometimes. And it just it just takes one yes to get you there. Um, and the other thing I think is, is good. This kind of you know goes how many back. girls I asked out, but all it took was one to say yes to me. No, just kidding. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, uh, I tricked one of them. <laughs> you were, uh, you were, you were never going to be able to have, um, an error to your throne. <laughs> the odds were against you. <laughs> um, the but, opportunities uh, were dwindling. All it took was one. Yes. Just took one yes. Um, and, uh, and the other thing I wanted to talk about really quick, and this kind of goes back to the conversation we just had, but. Man, even that's one of the things I think that most people when they hear hip hop or they hear rap music, the, the, the thing that they detest about it is that sort of culture of I'm so awesome, I'm so great. It's just it, it's just kind of bragging over and over I, again. I call it prove it music. Like yeah. I'm going to prove to you how awesome I am. Yeah, and so to use the hip hop genre to kind of come at it from an um, uh, I think a more honest place um, and a more vulnerable place for sure. I think that is something that's really, really special. Because wasn't that the origins of hip hop? I mean, if you really think about it. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I even think that, like, you know, the best, I think that the best hip hop artists out there right now are people who are telling true stories. They're not just, I mean, I I think there's a difference between the best and the most popular, but I think that the best guys, and I think this is across the board in any form of art, is the only bad art, in my opinion, is dishonest art. Um, and I think yeah. I think the same thing goes for relationship with God. The only bad prayer is dishonest prayer. Um, you know, the only bad worship is dis- dishonest worship. And so I think that if you can, if your stuff comes from a real place, there's going to be another human being that's going to resonate with it and uh, resonate with it. Um, so yeah, uh, I I think that that's that's a huge piece. Um, and the last question he had uh, was there any? Oh, there's two more questions. Was there any concern about relapse while they were down there? Um, yeah, I mean, there's always concern, but, uh, you know, I'll give the, the, my answer for that because my boss, that's the same thing as I've known these guys for literally each of them over a year and a half. I had ultimate trust in them. We talked about, um, when we went down there, I didn't make a rules. I didn't make rules for them. I made goals. One of the goals, you know, was like, Hmm. we all leave the same day. We all come back the same day. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? Mm. And so yeah, by yeah. framing it as goals, it was something to shoot for versus framing it as rules, which is a bunch of no's. I like that. And so I was 100% honest with them. I said, look it, man, if I was 18 in LA, I'd be tempted like crazy. But I got faith in you guys. I trust you guys. I love you guys. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that you're not going to disappoint everybody who brought you here and paid for you to come here. And um, and they were they were 100%. I just made sure to check in with them each day. How you doing? Is this too overwhelming? You know, because a big part of it, TJ, is this was a really big thing but you know you have to balance out really big things. So when you have high highs, you have low lows. And there was a couple points where we had to pull back from some events because the guys just weren't feeling it and stuff. So mm-hmm. I just made sure to have, have check-ins with them each day. We usually had like a, a, a check-in at morning, check-in at night, and then just throughout the day and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. um, so no kid relapse while we were down there. Yeah, and I, and I think this is uh, another point that, that could go to that is, you know, um, they're so – I mean, these guys are probably so used to uh, – um, doors being closed because because of their problems. Um, yeah. And yeah. so if if our recovery model is door, certain doors need to be closed for you um, because you are inherently broken, I don't think we're going to help people get well very much. And I think that one of the things that I learned even just in my life with certain things going on and having to fix certain things, it's that when you are put in situations that are a little bit more hard and you have victory in those places, that's where strength comes from. That's where, that's where the next time you're confronted with that, you're like, I can get past this because I've already, I've already gotten past this. And since these guys, yeah, I went to LA and right in the middle of all this stuff and I could have, you know, done something stupid while I was down there, but I didn't. And that gives them strength and that builds character. Um, Okay. The last thing is, the last thing that Timothy has here is how did you handle uh, confidentiality? Good question. We had them sign releases of information um, for both for pictures, for video, and for um, for media, and that covered basically everything. Um, and we, we made sure we explained it to them ahead of time. We said, you don't have to sign this. If you don't want to sign it, you don't have to. Um, each of them signed it. And then when we went, like when we were going places, like so say the airport, the airplane, right? So when you work in addictions, there's this law called CFR 42 Part 2. And you cannot disclose any information about a kid in your program or anybody in your program that's there for A and D, A and D. And so, you know, I didn't walk around and be like, all these guys are from Bridgeway. They're all part of my, you know, I didn't announce it. Um, and it came up here and there, but they signed the media releases and, and you know, it was okay. But one yeah. thing I did do is I made sure that whenever we did press and we did quite a bit of it, actually, whenever we had these little interviews, they didn't paint the kids as like, oh, you poor thing, you, you, you former drug addict loser who turned your life around. I made sure that was not the narrative yeah. because they're, they never were losers. They never were you know, rough kids. They had some things happen to them and they had some poor coping skills that they used to get over those things, but that was it. And so I made sure as the counselor to really uh, make sure that anybody interviewing them did not paint them in that light because that would have been mm. really, I think, detrimental to them as well and stuff wow um okay uh what did what is something this is andrew cruz asked asked this another another hardcore rando here um what is something you took away from the event that will impact your work with youth besides the inspirational story that the youth won the contest what is something that you're taking away with you um from this whole thing um i think that that no matter what you do um, much like Jesus, you live with those you serve and, hmm. and you just live life together. No matter if it's a traditional youth pastor context, no matter if it's you're a school worker, no matter if it's you're a counselor, no matter if it's you're a coach, when you live life together, that's when you see the greatest fruit come from whatever it is you're doing. And so your role, for me, I've always looked at my role as a drug and alcohol counselor is just an excuse to, to be a part of a kid's life and hopefully have some influence in that life and, and to be mm. the person that I needed when I was 16 and struggling and didn't have anybody to go to. And so, so to just to live life with those you serve, that, that would be my thing. Because that's what, that's what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't mm. in, in a church every Sunday and had people come to the church and then didn't see him for a week. He was with them, right? Mm-hmm. He lived life together. He broke bread together. He had difficult conversations together. He, mm-hmm. he, he, you know, he, he did all those things, you know, with them. Yeah. And that's when I think we have the greatest influence, you know, is, yeah. is a kid was referred to me for drug and alcohol re- re- services, uh, two groups a week. 
then we're on a bus going to the Grammys together nine months later. Like that's epic. You just, you live life together. And I think that's one of the things that Sonny, we see, um, as we're, uh, you know, this is what Camp Respawn is. It's a chance to build an experience where re- where it's just high-end relational stuff. You're actually living a li- living a week with these students, with these people who you get to work with. And and so it's outside of the context of here's my office, come in, you know, do your let's let, let's do this professional uh, stuff. It's outside of that context. And so and for me. Um, almost all of my best counseling sessions, almost all of my best uh, youth ministry moments, uh, they all happen outside of the church context. Um, and, and it really is crazy. I mean, it's summer camp, it's retreats, it's going and getting a burrito and driving somewhere with a student. Um, it, that's, that's how you do these things. And so I think that that's, that's a huge one. Um, and the last, uh, the last question that I, it was actually uh, a few people asked this question is, uh, what did you say to Taylor Swift when you met her? Because you said that uh, on on previous episodes that you already had it figured out what you were going to say. No, now let me let me rephrase this because I already know the answer to this question. But I, what I want to say is, uh, what were you going to say to Taylor Swift when you met her, and how did that go for you? Well, <clears throat> I got stood up. <laughs> Apparently she she uh, had more important things to do than come to the Grammys. Oh yes. Uh, no, I mean I you know hammed it up obviously and stuff. I respect her work quite a bit. She's she's pretty cool. But uh, you know I would have said the same thing I said to everybody. You know I I met Kevin Griffin from Better Than Ezra. That was a band I listened to in the nineties. Um, I just said hey you know appreciate your work. And then I I'm more curious like from a from a creator standpoint like what does it take nowadays to get noticed and stuff like that you know. So I asked him I said I said what is it is it creativity is it branding? Is it, is it, is it social media? I I said, what is it? You know? And so he kind of filled me in on what he sees and stuff like that. And so I probably would have said the same thing to her, but I'd probably been been like, (laughs) 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 I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Oh man. But we did get to meet, we met Nora Jones or she walked by us. Um, Nora Jones, Miley Cyrus, Shawn Mendes, Mark Ronston who's a super, super popular uh, producer right now. Um, so that was cool. And then Kevin Griffin from Better Than Ezra, we were hanging out with him a couple of days. Okay. That was pretty neat. There you yeah. go, so man. You're going to meet too many no famous. Yeah. Well, there it is, man. There it is. Uh, your, your moment with T-Swift was not. And so, I mean, I don't even know why you even did this thing. You know, if you don't get to meet T-Swift, I mean, what is, what is, the you know, point? it was kind of a waste of time. You know, I mean, <laughs> you know, I spent a bunch of money on some stupid food and stuff and these kids, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah. Next year, we'll see what happens next year. Yeah, we'll see. You know, she's got to she's got to go through a breakup because that's where her best her best stuff comes from, man. She needs to she needs, she needs to have her heart broken so she can get another Grammy. Um, I, was, also, I, was, I was hoping to be the be the main like reason she got her next Grammy. You know what I'm saying? Just kidding. Sonny. <laughs> Sonny is a happily married man. His wife happily listens man, to this, and I would just like to apologize, Rachel. I'm sorry that your husband. <laughs> says just stupid things on the air. Um, anyway, well that, that, that concludes the questions that I, I wanted to ask you. Thank you for answering. Awesome time down at the Grammy. Super cool. Um, if you haven't, head, head on over to our Facebook or uh, Instagram page. You can see pictures of the students. And there's just one picture on there. If you haven't you know, ventured over our Instagram or social media, there's one picture in particular, which I think is just so awesome. It's, uh, it's you dressed up with the two guys who got to actually go to the Grammys. And you guys are just in your tuxes. And I just, I sit there and think, yeah. man, I just sit there and think about, because I, I know both those guys. Both of them are Camp Respawn guys. Yep. Um, and uh, and Camp Respawn, they do not look like that. They're not, they're not nope. cleaned up like that at all. <laughs> um, Nor do I. Nor but, do I. <laughs> but uh, to see you guys just completely, just straight balling at the Grammys and, uh, and you guys posing right there, man, I seriously, I started crying because I was just thinking, this is the type of thing that you know and and i think the 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 quote on there i don't think it was our quote but i think uh bridgeway's quote on it was um taking did you write that were you the one who wrote that post or was that somebody else it was Uh, i had a lot to do with them all basically it was just uh take uh uh, vulnerability and creativity collide or something like that yeah but it was something like uh, oh 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 oh, uh no that was it was like taking you to places that yeah 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 yeah. taking you to places or sobriety 
takes you to places that using substances only promises. Yeah, I think that yeah. I think that was super, and that, that that's true. That's so true. And you proved it, man. You proved it to the students. You proved it to um, your work, and you just you just proved it, man. And that's I think that is an awesome thing. So uh, I look forward to just you know whatever else is going to come from this thing. And I also look forward to the fact that it's now over and you cannot <laughs> use it as a win of the week anymore. Oh, so. it'll be a win of the week forever. <laughs> also, uh, if you're on the Insta, if you Insta, if you look at uh, Bridgeway underscore studios, that is our adolescent program page. And you can follow that and see all the pictures we posted. We posted some to the fringe page as well. Mm. Um, but if you look at the Bridgeway studios on Instagram, you can see all the pictures we took and stuff like that. Pretty fun. TJ, Tales from the Fringe, Tales from the Fringe. This is where we uh, swap stories of different uh, experiences we've had working with youth. And I believe this episode, you are going first. Yeah, Sonny, uh, your story sort of inspired me when you said Skid Row. I wanted to tell this story. Um, uh, Three years ago, I got to take my youth ministry down to uh, Skid Row. I got to take them. We went actually through an organization called the Dream Center. And that, and we, when we went to the Dream Center, we got to uh, go to different communities like Compton and like Watts and Inglewood, and also, and 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 the hardest place that we got to go to was Skid Row. And if you don't know what Skid Row is, I mean, there's about a thousand documentaries that you can go watch or a, a Wikipedia page that you can go see. Um, but it's just, it's crazy. It's 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 basically a homeless. Um, camp, and it's right in the middle of Los Angeles. I mean, it's it's right next to skyscrapers, um, and it's just there's there's tents and tarps and and just drug addicted people and gangbangers and just though I mean the closest thing to probably what I would understand a zombie apocalypse to look like because that's what Skid Row looked like. And so uh, we got to roll in there, and I got to take my students here who are. They're military kids, which is kind of a, a different brand of fringe kids, but they they've definitely are kids who have a unique experience in life as they get to move around all the time and have to constantly be uprooting and going uh, where wherever their next uh, place is at. So um, I, I got to take these these military kids into this really fringe spot, aka Skid Row. And uh, I remember when we pulled these two, we had about two 15-passenger vans. I probably had 25 students with me. Um, and we parked at this this uh, church, and then we got out. And I remember when we parked, because as we were coming in, like the students were looking outside, and they were just looking at all this just... And they, were, they they saw some 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 lady walking around, and she didn't have she only had her panties on, and she was just walking around in this sort of zombie look on her face. There was people, you know literally just pooping right there on the sidewalk. It, 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 I mean, just every piece of human depravity that you could imagine, they'd, they'd seen just driving in there in the two vans. And I remember shutting off the van, and there was this sort of, we don't want to get out feel to the whole thing. And I got to tell you, I felt that exact same thing. I did not want to get out of this van. Um, and so I said, guys, here we go. And I prayed for us and uh, I opened the door up and 25 of us walk across the street. And uh, and there is there is such a heavy contrast to what the crew I'm bringing in and and the people that they're experiencing. And they're, we're, we have this um, task ahead of us uh, to go into this park and give people, uh, I think, sandwiches and water bottles. And as we're walking into the park, this kind of this gangbanger came up to me because that's what kind of exists there in Skid Row is is really homeless, mental illness people, um, drug addicted people, and then people who are selling them the drugs to keep them addicted. And so this 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 guy rolls up to us, who's obviously a drug dealer, and he says, "Hey, what are you guys doing here?" And uh, you know, I have like a bunch of sandwiches in my hand, and I got a, I got like a. Uh, a bunch of waters. I'm like, hey, we're just we're just we're with the Dream Center. Um, we're actually from Seattle, Washington, and we're just coming down to to hand these things out. And he goes, well, that's that's good. I'm glad you're doing that. Um, and then he literally looks at me and says this. I don't know if he was just messing with us, but I, I he he looked just dead serious when he said it. He goes, um, I'll wait to shoot this place up then. 
<laughs> what he literally said to me, dude, is that I'll wait to shoot. And, I, and all the kids, like their eyes just went huge at that point. And I go, okay, this is a pretty dangerous situation that we're in. And But you know what? God called us to be here. So we get into the park and, you know, the kids, they're, they're scared looking and they, they look just, you know, man, it just, the whole thing was just scary for them. But I told them, you know, God's going to protect them. They're doing God's work. They're, they're doing the right things. And, and so they take their sandwiches and I just tell them, go out, love some people, listen to some stories. And, uh, and so I watched my kids sort of go into this park and, uh, our, our students just, you know, they started loving on kit uh, on uh, loving on these these really broken people and i watched them give ham sandwiches to people give water to people i even watched them lay their hands on people and pray for them right there in the open air of the park um, get into gospel conversations um, a couple of our students end up sharing the gospel and then there was this uh there's this man who was you know you got to be pretty broken to be a skid row anyway but this guy was especially broken as a person and uh uh, I had two girls who were there. There were two of my senior girls, and uh, they were talking to him. And I walked up, kind of just sort of just, just wanting to, you know, listen in on the conversation. And I look at the guy, and it's really hard to understand what he's saying because, uh, no doubt, uh, uh, he his he doesn't have any teeth, and he's got a uh, beanie on, and the beanie is like half covering one of his eyes. Um, and he, he, as he's talking, you know, there's kind of spit coming out of his mouth, but he's, he's putting together sentences and, and the girls are kind of just leaning into him, you know, um, listening to him talk. And I kind of lean in and listen to him talk. And, and even though his words were really mumbled, uh, he was saying really intelligent things, um, really relevant things. It was just obvious that he read the newspaper and that he was up on current event things and, uh, and, and, and what was going on. So I got into a conversation with him about, uh, U S economical trade was, was the thing that I was talking to this guy about, which was crazy to sit there and talk. But, uh, you know, after about five minute conversation and the girls being right there, I just asked him, I said, Hey man, you know, you're a pretty smart dude. Uh, what are you doing here? I, I don't know why I asked. That's probably like the worst question to ask. Like what, what's wrong with you is basically what I said to him. And he looked at me and he lifted up his beanie and where there was supposed to be another eyeball, there wasn't, there was a, there was a, there was a divot in his head, Sonny, um, where his eyeball was and, uh, and, and where part of his skull was. And he said, uh, he said like five years ago, he was standing at a bus stop on his way to go into work that he worked at the same job for 25 years. Um, and some, some random act of violence, probably gang related in some way, someone came up and shot him point blank with a shotgun, um, uh, straight in the, straight in the face. Um, and he should have died, uh, but he didn't. Uh, and he went to the hospital, uh, year, uh, like a year of rehabbing and getting things and skin graphing and all that stuff. And while he was there, he got addicted to pain medication, um, and, uh, and, you know, it, it costed a lot of money to, to stay up on that pain medication. And when, you know, his prescriptions dried up, he, he still, he couldn't work, um, anymore. He lost his job by that point. So he turned to street drugs, um, cheaper versions of, of, of something that would make it so he didn't have to feel the pain of, of what was going on in his life, but also, you know, the physical pain of, of losing his eyeball and like half his skull. And, uh, and, and he says, you know, like I, I read the paper every day, but my eye, my eyes, my other eyes going blind too. And when that goes blind, I won't be able to read. And that'll probably be when I die. Um, and I, uh, I watch as my, my girls and I, we, we all just lay our hands on this kind of broken dude and we pray for him and we invite him to, uh, the church and tell him, you know, of a hope that's past this world. Um, and, and, and there's something just incredibly tangible about the idea of a hope that's past this world speaking to someone whose body is broken beyond repair um, and that is, you know, slowly moving into, into non-existence in this life. And, uh, and I remember, you know, first of all, my own heart and just sort of listening to the story and how, how human it felt talking to someone who was so broken, but also just my students being able to be there and to lean into that and to just experience just this terrible amount of 
brokenness and pain and, and, uh, and, and life taking the wrong turns. Um, and I remember that experience of, of going to Skid Row. Um, it woke us up. It, it woke me up as a, as a youth pastor. It woke our youth ministry up. And, and even those students, man, I think that uh, there was a couple of them that had some, you know, boyfriend drama on that trip. <laughs> and that stuff, those conversations were done. We didn't have any more conversations that were shallow the rest of the trip. And, uh, and, and they realized, you know, the cost of, of, of what we were doing out there. So um, that, was, that was me taking my military kids into the middle and the heart of, of, I think, of probably one of the fringiest places in the United States, Skid Row, and, uh, and being changed by it. That's a, um, I love that story because from, from my world, from the, the alcohol and drug world, Stigma is a big part of what we do in the sense that we try to lower it when it comes to people who, who become addicted to drugs. Um, and then, you know, oftentimes when you think of an addict, you think of that person on the corner who's, who's missing an eye or something's not right with them or they're, they're walking around in their underwear. Um, and you say, man, that person's crazy. They're addicted to drugs. Like they're a junkie. They're a tweaker or something like that, you know? But there's always a story behind every bum, for lack of a better word. There's a story behind every tweaker. There's a story behind every lady who's walking down the street in her underwear. You know, you have a little girl. I have a little girl. You know, did did those did those were those ladies born and destined for that life, or what happened to them? You know, and in our line of work, we're finding a lot of substance use starts from just bad coping skills or like you illustrated that story so perfectly guy was a normal guy going to work same job 24 years horrific incident happens he goes to the hospital he gets hooked on pain meds and all of a sudden the doctors cut him off but he has a a raging addiction that he has to fix and tj that story is so common in, in my line of work um but i think there's still a big stigma out there that if you're addicted to drugs or substances you're weak you're morally inept, you're not strong enough, um, whatever the case, and it's, it's sad and it needs to change um, because, because what you, were, you allowed your kids to see is what we try to do every day is, is they're people and people need people. Yeah. And people get hurt by people and when you're hurt by people, you need people even more to heal those hurts mm. and then to move forward and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Well, and that's, I think that was the thing. It was just, it was just human on human contact and, uh, just, just how scary it was and how real it was. And, you know, uh, it's a crazy feeling, Sonny. I mean, just a crazy feeling, feeling, you know, as it, as someone who directs a program and is constantly, you know, thinking about safety and you know how, how people are going to respond to this walking, you know, 25 young people into probably the, one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in in the world um, and 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 feeling the feelings of oh my gosh are we going to be okay and uh, and God you know giving you a, a peace that surpasses understanding those moments that hey I'm, I'm gonna send you to the front lines and I'm gonna protect you here um, and uh, yeah I mean that guy who you know another part of that story is the guy who you know first said you know hey I, I I'll wait to shoot this up since you guys are here. Um, me and another student got to share the gospel with him at that park. And so, cool. um, it, yeah, it was just a really special time. Two hours that I, I, I'm sure changed lives. Um, not Maybe not so much at the park, but but definitely um, in those two buses heading out of there. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And, and, you know, praise the God for getting out of there safe. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we, were, we didn't go to Skid Row, but we were very close by it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's just, it's a different world down there. It's not, it's not your Pacific Northwest where everybody wears flannels anymore, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you and I have been to Nicaragua. We've, we've seen the, the third world. Um, and, but for me, Skid Row is the, like I said at the beginning, it is the place that you want to, you want to see human depravity. You want to see the brokenness that, that exists in our world. You don't have to go over a border to do it. Um, walk into the middle of one of the most wealthiest cities in the world and you will find, uh, you will find depravity on another level and you will find, um, humans living, you know, much like animals. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, it, it's sad. And it, I guess it is a shame that it exists in this country too. Well, thanks for that 
Lovely. Sad story there, DJ. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, man. Uh, anyway, I want to hear yours, Sonny. What, what, what's your tale from the fringe this week? <coughs> All right. I was going to go sad, too. But since you went uber sad, I won't go sad. I'll go, I'll go cool story. So uh, circa 2004, um, prior to being like, you know, official youth volunteer, I was in this hardcore screamo band. And uh, we were playing at this church in Canby for New Year's Eve. And there was like, there's probably 200 kids there. It was a pretty big deal. And uh, we had a merch table set up and all that. And we were kind of the main act. And uh, so it was cool. Played the show. Had a lot of fun. Kids going crazy. And we riled them up and stuff like that. We just did our thing. After the show, I meet this one girl. And I'm talking to her. She's like 12 or 13. She came up to our merch table. And um, so we did exchange of small talk and stuff. And then I say, you know, hey, you know, how's life? You know, how, how are you as a person? And she goes, man, my life sucks. And I was like, why is that? And then she lifts up her arm, her arm sleeve. Um, she's wearing a sweatshirt. And she shows me her forearm. And, um, and it was all just cut up. And this was like my first experience really like, like being up close and personal to a young kid who cut themselves. And, uh, and she goes, she goes I, I have so much pain. This is the only way to, to um, relieve the pain is, is I cut myself. And I'm just like, you know, because we've been doing the band thing for a while, you know. Um, we knew what we were doing at this point. We knew how to talk to people and all that kind of stuff. But she just took it to a whole other level, and I just really wasn't, wasn't um, prepared for it, you know. And so I was like, oh, let me pray for you. So we did all that, and then just tried talking to her and, and um, talking to her about, you know, places she could go and praising the youth group that we were at and stuff. And was so happy to see she's at church. So anyway, so then uh, so we started talking about the Lord and stuff like that. So I say, how long have you been coming here? Are you new? Are you been here for a while? And she says she just started coming to, to church um, at the place we were at, but she didn't have a Bible. And then I said, I said, I, I said, cool. I said, let me get you a Bible. I said, let me do that. I can, I can bring it to you next week. And she goes, that, that'd be so awesome. And I said, I'll do you better. I'll have all, all the band sign it, you know, because we were the cool band guys. I said, all the band will sign it, and then we'll give it to you. She goes, that'd be so cool. So anyway, so that was that. We stayed the, stayed, um, the rest of the night playing games and stuff like that with all the kids, and we leave. And then, um, and then that was that. So then next week rolls by, and I was supposed to bring it to her one week later, and I forgot. And then um, I felt, I didn't realize it until like after the Wednesday night had already passed. I was like, oh, crap, you know, I totally forgot that little girl. And then a couple more weeks go by, and, uh, and I just was busy and just had other things going on. And I was like, well, you know, maybe she wasn't really serious about it, whatever, and stuff like that. But then the Lord really put it on my heart, like, I need to, I need to follow up and, and go redo this. <coughs> So I, so I found a Bible, I went and bought a Bible, and then I went and had everybody sign it, and then I went back, like, probably like five weeks later, I finally go back to the church, and it was on a Wednesday. So I go walking in, and she's like the first person I see. It was pretty cool. And so, um, so I say, hey, I say, sorry, sorry I was late, I, I totally forgot, and I go, my bad, I was just apologizing, and she goes, you don't have to apologize at all. She goes, today's my birthday. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, What? She goes, yeah, today's my birthday, oh, and this man. is the best present anybody's ever given me. Oh, man. And I was just like, holy crap, you know? And so, uh, so I gave her the Bible, gave her a stiff side hug. You know how that goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then I leave. You know, I was like, hey, cool, you know, see you later. And that was the last time I've ever seen her again. Oh, man. And, uh, and I just thought it was so cool. I've always remembered that story because it was like this really – you know, we we when we were in the band, we talked to so many different kids. You know, we played we played clubs, we played bars, we played a lot of youth groups, and we played these. We, we used to go to small town podunk towns and play there, and the kids would love us because we were you know real, we were a decent band and bringing a really kind of cool sound to small towns. So kids just loved us. Yeah, and that's how I really got the ink to work with with youth. And um, so I'd had conversations numerous times with kids, and the kids had problems, but never just like, yeah, my life sucks. Here's my arm, and they were fresh cuts. So I was so scared. And I just love how the Lord worked it out to where maybe I didn't forget, you know, maybe he yeah. kept me busy for a few weeks. That way, when I did finally bring her the Bible, it had more impact and stuff like yeah. that. And just her face and, and her face just welled up with smiles and just mm -hmm. hope. And, um, and it was just cool, you know? And so, so, you know, the, the story I always take away from that is if you make a promise, go back, you know, and don't be scared to jump in those conversations because you never know what the Lord's going to do with that conversation and how he's going to use you to impact somebody else, you know? Hmm. And uh, yeah, man, just super cool. So I love it, man. Pretty fun. But I, I love the story of 
it's my birthday and uh and that you know you were able to you're able to give her a, a gift on her birthday that I'm sure she would never forget and um you want to you want some you want to get a young person to read God's word invest in an awesome bible for them you know yep. give them a bible I, uh, I remember my sister came home from one day with with like a bible and like a devotional that looked really nice and fancy and I remember I remember being jealous of her Bible, <laughs> you know, like her small group leader had loved her and gave her a Bible. And I remember just being jealous and then watching her highlighted and all that stuff. And I remember thinking, man, someday I want somebody to give me a Bible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, a cool, what a cool Bible. You're still listening to the Fringe Youth Marker Podcast. TJ, last segment of the week, question of the week, and uh, and this week, TJ, I brought the question yeah, to got you. Yeah, you've got the question, man. Okay, so let's see. How's the question? Uh, question is basically this. This is mainly directed at, at youth workers, youth pastors. Um, when you set up the big event, whether it's an all-nighter, whether it's a three-day retreat during the winter, whether it's summer camp, whether it's... Um, just a big event. What does your post-event self-care look like, and what happens when you don't get your post-event self-care? Um, okay, so uh, this is something that I, it changes based on what it is or what what what's happening. I'll just talk. Let's talk about camp because camp is probably the biggest one for me, or a mission trip, one of those two things. And then let me let me do this too. And why is it important? Yeah. So you get back, um, you get all the students home, put the gear away, or at least in a place that you know no one's going to be upset about it being there. Um, and then, and then you go home. And uh, and for me, uh, the next couple days, I don't do anything. <laughs> now define not do anything because this. <laughs> um, so I what's going on? I just I put my I I I pick my belly button and sit in my chair. <laughs> No, uh, you know, I, I, I go home and, you know, my wife is kind of like my ministry partner in life, not kind of like she is my ministry partner in life. And we go home and, and so we talk a little bit about things and, and, you know, usually the day after we, we do, and there's this kind of this, is it, is a depression that sort of seeps in right after camp, especially like summer camp for me. It's like, man, we're not going to have another one of those for a whole year. Dang it. You know, that was yeah. so awesome. And then you, you scroll through you know, social media to see what the students are saying about your camp and, and, uh, and what their experience was. And, and then you get, you know, different texts from different volunteers and staff members saying, Hey, Oh, you know, this is, and, and everyone sort of handles a little differently. You know, some people, you know, they want to debrief like right now, like uh, I have, I have staff members on my team are like, we have to debrief right now because no, they, because they want so badly just to talk about camp more. Um, and truthfully, you know, in those emotionally charged moments, you know, debriefs aren't always the best thing, you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, you want, you want some space between you and the event to actually you want of, an objective debrief. Yeah. You want something that's not just, Hey, wasn't that awesome. Um, you want to be able to, and also you want to be able to view what the students thought about it. And, and so the only way yeah. to really get that is to you know, see their posts and post camp. So, you know, I, I, here it's really simple. I go home and I, I don't go to work for the next couple of days. Um, and my, you know, everyone understands that, uh, I put in plenty of, plenty of time to be able to comp some hours, but also, uh, it's just, you know, it's just to recharge the batteries and to get my mind right. And then usually about a week or two after the thing, I have the official debrief. Um, I send out surveys usually, uh, about what the camp you know, meant so the volunteers all fill out the survey. And what did you think of the location? What did you think of the food? What did you think of the speaker? What did you think of the worship leader? What did you think of the schedule? What did you think of the activities? What and it's just all rating them on scale of one to ten, or you know that stuff. And um, that way, that you know, that gives us a that gives us some really consistent points to debrief when we try to debrief them. Um, and so and so when we come into the debrief moment, you know, our survey is ready to go, and that's you know. Uh, 
and, and, and that's, you know, that's kind of our way to put the final button up on camp. And then the other thing I do, um, and you do this too, Sunny, a lot, is I, uh, and it's actually a really important process for me, is I make the camp video. <laughs> um, uh, so when, when do you do that? Do you do that the two days after camp or do you wait or what do you do? Cause that's important to get out fairly quickly. Yeah. So, uh, that's, that's kind of part of my resting thing. Uh, you know, it, it's one of those things that exists in two places. It's, it's production level and it produces things, but you know, video editing and that is a hobby of mine. So it's something yeah. I, I want to do. Um, it's something that gives me energy and it's something that really does help me to debrief what happened at camp. And so, uh, usually, yeah, I need to get that ready cause we want to show it on Sunday and we want to show it at youth group that next week and all that stuff. So it's usually, you know, in that, in those two days of rest, Sometimes in there, usually I'll wait till I can, you know, it's kind of the first thing I do when I go back to work. Um, But it just really depends on when's the first time I need to show it. But I can crank that out in about a day. So it's not like a, it's not like a four or five day process. Um, So yeah, uh, debrief, camp video, rest. Um, and one thing I do not do, which I, which you do all the time, is you, you go and get a ped- pedicure. You took me to do that once, and was it just it was not <laughs> my thing. You can't say you didn't like it. You can't say you didn't like it. I didn't like it. You know, you bull crap. You had a big <laughs> smile on your face. I got pictures to prove it. <laughs> okay. Post camp pedicure is the greatest thing ever. I didn't like I it. I don't like the. Way, I don't care who you are. I didn't like the way I liked it. Okay. <laughs> I didn't like the funny feeling I got. <laughs> it's like it's like I'm I'm getting tickled the whole time, so of course I'm smiling. <laughs> when she peels the wax back, I felt a feeling I shouldn't feel. <laughs> uh, post camp patties are the best. Let me. I'm gonna put this out there. I am a big proponent of post camp patties, <laughs> and if we're still doing this podcast in the summertime, I want to see pictures posted to our page of everybody getting post camp pedicures. Oh that's a my thing. goodness! All right, that's maybe, a thing, maybe, 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 a thing. maybe we can do a live podcast from the co- the post uh, camp patties post camp for, for, we'll for respawn. Um, but uh, yeah, no, that that that's awesome. But uh, you know, what do you do? I mean, you're right in the middle of that right now, Stunny. What do you do to to bring yourself back? Yeah, so normally, much like you, I try to have nothing happening for the first uh, couple days. This this time, I really botched it. You know, I mean, I mean, just the it's one thing to do a trip, but we we often forget unless you're you've worked in this kind of field, you know what it takes to put together a trip like this and all the small details that come into play. You know, and so there's so much planning that goes into it. By the time the trip rolls around, it's almost like a relief. You know, it's almost like all right, cool. Now we're finally doing it. You know. But then there's all sorts of stresses that come with that. And so coming back, I thought I had cleared my schedule for the next two days to have off. We got back on Monday, but I had to go to a meeting at 10 o'clock on Tuesday um, with all the leadership team at Bridgeway. And then Wednesday, I had to go to an all-morning training from like 8 to 12. Where I just had to sit there and watch um, this lady talk. And it was, you know, it was cool stuff, but I didn't get my rest, you know. And then each after that, I was able to go home and rest, but it wasn't like continued rest, you know, I had to get up, shower, get dressed and all that and put on my face. And then, and then I got sick on top of it, you know? And so now it's like day, day four or five post the trip and I'm still a hot mess, you know, like I'm sleeping, too, I'm sleeping a lot. I haven't really been out inside the house outside of my normal duties and I'm fighting off this cold. So it's like a double whammy of like the emotional come down plus being sick and uh, it sucks and I haven't felt this way in a long time. And even like we were supposed to record the podcast on Thursday, then I posted back to Friday, and then we're, now we're recording on Saturday and stuff. So I appreciate you being gracious in that. But um, but yeah, normally a firm two days doing nothing. And then even like I remember one year, I think it was one of the camps. I came home from camp, and I sat on my couch, and I was like, what do I do? You know, it's like you, you come from so much excitement and hype and just every day something's going on. It's moving fast. And then I remember my wife and kids were gone, and I sat on the couch, and I was like, should I read? Should I play a video <laughs> game? Should I take a shower? Do I take a nap? And literally, TJ, I sat there for like 45 minutes, just like staring at the wall, just going, what do I do, you know? Because I was just so dead, and it's just such a weird, it's a weird mental spot yeah, to yeah. be in, you know, just coming from such excitement. And even this, like we were walking, dude, I lost like four pounds in LA. Like I was eating, <laughs> I ate good, but I lost four pounds. We were just out walking so much. 
And then I come back and it's like rainy and snowy and there's nowhere to walk. And I'm just like, my wife's like, hey, change his diaper and put Tony to bed and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, you know where I've been, woman? And uh, it was just such a harsh come down to reality and stuff. It was crazy. Snap but, back uh, to reality. Snap back to reality. Oh, there goes gravity. Uh, yeah, man, it was, it was nuts. But self-care has to be there and i'm suffering from it this year this this trip as i didn't do it and uh um, oh, dude i just i think that it. have you seen that uh that meme of it's uh it's pablo escobar and it's him just sitting in all these kind of lonely spots it's like four pictures of him yeah yeah, yeah i've seen that one that's exactly how it is that's exactly what it is and 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 brit you're <laughs> exactly. gonna listen to this and brit, brit's kind of in charge of our instagram uh, page uh, uh put that out there as like the post you know yeah, <laughs> the post yeah. camp uh feels dude, I, went, I went to target like my first day or the second we got back late at night so the next morning after leadership i went to target i don't know why i just walked around for like an hour in target yeah. just like walking around just like just looking at things oh, man. <laughs> but doing the pablo thing you know i was like thinking about different aspects while i was at target it was crazy oh man that's awesome man tj what happens when you don't get your self-care what happens when you don't take care of yourself after camp have you ever kind of went down that road uh yeah no that unfortunately that happens all too often um there is there is these moments where and you just described it perfectly that something else happens there's a big event happening um there's there's other things happening and you have to just kind of devote yourself to that and and you got to transition quick and uh and you know usually what happens is you don't properly debrief it you know your spirit is a little bit heavy and uh and you end up uh I don't know. I just, I don't think you end up getting fully what God wants you to get from those things. And, uh, and that's going to just kind of part of the whole thing here. And so, and, and, and in your case, you physically get sick because, you know, the Lord cursed you says, you know, Hey, you're he, supposed to rest. He smited me. He yeah. smited me. In fact, if you would have, uh, if you would have been following me online, you would have seen that my one minute message this week was about rest, Sonny. Um, so, you know, I want sorry, I don't subscribe to TikTok. <laughs> Oh man. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, seriously though, get your rest guys. Um, it is one of the things that God commands us to do. Um, it is not something that is for his good. It's something that is for our good. And when we, when we say, Oh, I got I'm too busy to rest. Oftentimes that's when I think Satan speaks loud to, to what's going on in our lives. And, um, I think that, you know, we could, we could actually wind up in some pretty low lows, um, when we don't come back and actually allow ourselves to you know, rest and fill the fields and then move on appropriately. You are not important enough that if you rest, the world will cave in. man well uh i just want to tell our, our our listeners our randos out there thank you for uh subscribing to our page thank you for all of the itunes reviews if you're listening to this podcast and you listen to it every single week you would do us a huge favor by going over to uh, itunes and writing it right not just giving us a star review but writing us a review about what you love about the show it helps other youth workers know that we're here and we are available to help them. Um, please go to the, the Facebook and Instagram page, comment, like, share, do all that stuff. Um, but also mostly just join the conversation. We want to we wanna have this be more than just Sonny and I talking. We want it to be uh, you guys interacting with the show. And so as you guys, as a lot of you guys who um, comment to our show weekly, we, we get back to you on those things. And so we want to hear from you. We want to hear what's helping so that we can, so it can inform the content that will be produced in future shows. Um, thanks for being part of that. TJ. <laughs> yes. Do you know what country Sunny. loves us? <laughs> this is Bane. Uh, do you know what country loves us the most outside of the United States? Uh, is it is it still? Uh, is, I'll give you a hint. Okay. Justin Bieber and Drake. <laughs> so it's Canada. Canada, baby. Canada loves We're us. We're big in Canada. Yeah. <laughs> We're big in Canada. Here we go. Who would have thought? Yeah. I mean, you know what? I. I'm guessing that there's fringe, there's, you know, fr frozen fringe kids up there too, man. I, well, I, there's nothing more fringe than Canada. Yeah. 
if you if you like literally like you know fringe means the edge, which you know yes. Canada is the edge of you know, the, is edge. the edge of the United States. So yes, literally it is the fringe. Um, no, we we love our connect friends. Actually, like three of my top mentors in life are uh, fringe. Are not fringe. Are Canadian, um, and so uh, I, I, we love Canada here around around here on the Fringe Youth Worker Podcast. Um, that that brings me to another point, guys. Uh, we got some interviews coming up um, that we're we're going to be sending your guys' way, and uh, and so we'll be looking for those. Um, they'll either be standalones or they'll be part of our future episodes. Uh, anyway, thanks for subscribing, and uh, this has been the Fringe Youth Worker Podcast. You've earned your gold star. Thank you for listening to the Fringe Youth Worker Podcast.